Hi everybody, welcome to Legacy Stories. Today you only have me, Maria, and I have a special guest today, my friend Anna. Am I pronouncing that right? I know you for yes, ages. You I'm like, wait, yes. am I saying it right? <laughs> you <laughs> are. Of Thank you for that asking. one time I'm gonna pronounce it wrong, right? Like when it matters when it's in the air. No, you pronounced it perfectly. <laughs> good for me. Good for me. I mean, I should know my name is chopped up on daily basis. So <laughs> it happens. <laughs> so me and Anna are together in this amazing feminist group. And we've known each other through the group for a while now. And I'm so happy you're here. Uh, introduce yourself, kind of. What do you do? Who you are? Tell us everything. Yeah, uh, so my name is Ana Lopez. Um, I'm officially MSWMED, so super excited about that. Um, what does that mean? Tell us more. What does yeah, that mean? A master's of social work and a master's of education, um, specifically in human sexualities uh, education. So I'm also a sex coach. Um, I own Sex and Spanglish, which is a podcast and also my coaching practice um, where I coach. I would say mostly Latina immigrants, so mainly first gens. Um, so we can get into that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, mostly oh, first yeah. gens. And I'm also the founder of Latinas Cochinas. So for those of you that don't know, Cochina is a Spanish word. Technically, it means like pig or like dirty, but that's it's used to kind of like vilify women and like they're being dirty because they're having sex or things like that. And so we're kind of reclaiming the word um, by kind of identifying as Cochinas in the group. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I like it. <laughs> so Anna, tell us about how are you an immigrant? Yeah, so I was actually born here in the U.S. Um, and I think I was thinking about this and I was going to say that I have a unique perspective, but I actually don't think that my or experience, I don't think that my experience is that unique is that I have one parent that is an immigrant and one that is not. Um, and so I've been able to really grasp like the differences between the two um, and really understand like the point of view of someone that is not an immigrant, um, you know, myself included, but like my mother who was born and raised here. And then my father who um, he came to the US when he was 18 and he actually went back and forth for a really long time, you know, before the border. So he's um, Mexican. And so before the borders were actually um, created, I guess, and, you know, enforced between it wasn't that easy to go back and forth. Um, you know, he would just come back and forth. He brought like all of his siblings over. He brought my cousins over. And so he kind of hid that from us. But as I got older and I really realized like what it means um, to be, have like an immigrant status in the United States specifically, I really was able to see like, wow, like all these things that he does means so much more because he is an immigrant. And because I was raised, because he was doing all that, I was raised mostly by my mother who was born and raised here. And she was, so my mother's German. And so she was really adamant about making sure that that culture was like infused into my life. So while she's not Mexican, she was very like, no, this is like 
important to your culture. This is kind of, you know, what Mexican people eat, or this is, you know, certain words, this is what they mean and things like that. And so she was very adamant about like making sure that I didn't forget or lose that part of my culture simply because my dad wasn't as present. Um, and then when I got to high school, my dad actually got deported. And so that's when it really hit me like, oh, like he can never come back. Like that's, uh, you know, in his case, at least he can't come back. And that's, you know, really sad and also frustrating. And so that's where like the topic of immigration is very, um, what is the word? I don't know. <laughs> very, it plays an important role in my life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so now I go and see him because he can't come here. And yeah. I've heard a few stories like that in our, com like, you know, in the community that I live in. And it's very kind of hard and heartbreaking stories. And sometimes even whole families will return because of yeah. that. And it can be hard because especially on the kids who were born here, they have to go back. And it's really difficult for them sometimes. I see that. And it, it's, um, then you have to adjust to a whole new environment, which, you know, it's funny. When you're coming here as an immigrant and you're willingly moving, it's a different adjustment. When you're being right. sent back, it's totally a different adjustment because you're not doing it willingly. And this is kind of what I equate with people who, my people, um, when I say my people, I mean like the whole Balkans who were uh, during the war, they were kind of forced to migrate. You know, people with mixed marriages, people who can never go back to where they used to live because that territory is now like under a different country. So they don't feel comfortable living there anymore. And it's like, that's kind of how those people who are here feel like immigrants being deported back home. It's like they are being deported out of their own country. And it's just yeah. like this heaviness, I think, that takes over human life. So how is your dad doing now? Like, how is he? Yeah. Um, well, I just came back from seeing him. So he's doing well. Uh, he's very, um, what is the word? He's kind of like a chameleon, like very adaptable. Um, but even he says like the experience, so he speaks both languages, but it's very obvious that English was not his first language, um, but you can understand him just fine, but he does have like, you know, a Spanish accent. And so he's like, you know, when I came back, I had to learn like slang words that I didn't know, or like they could tell, he says that they could tell that he's not from there, but I'm like, well, technically you are, but I knew what he meant, right? That he had been here for so many years you know, that it here being in the United States, that being sent back, it was almost like the American culture had kind of like infused into him and the way that he spoke and his mannerisms and things like that. And even when I go over there, they're like, oh, you, you know, you, they could tell that I don't live there <laughs> from there. Um, of course, I always tell people that I'm from there when I'm over there. Um, I'm just like, oh yeah, I've just been in the U.S. for a really long time, <laughs> just for like safety purposes. Um, but yeah, he's doing well, but I don't 
I don't think that that's the case for, you know, many people. I think he's very fortunate that my grandmother still lives there and so, and his brother. And so he had a lot of help in that way. And he knows a lot of people and we have a pretty big family. So that was helpful. Um, but I think if that wasn't the case, um, I don't think that that would, you know, it wouldn't be the same story. Like, he, so there's 12 of us kids. And so we're all here, but we're able to work now that we're adults and help him out and things like that. And everybody is not that fortunate. You know, some people, even those people that aren't immigrants that have been there forever, you know, that are aging, there's not a retirement plan. And so, you know, their kids are, that are here in the United States are having to work for them. And it's only like one or two kids. And he has like 12 that feed him <laughs> versus the one. So it's a lot less pressure. So I feel very fortunate in that sense. Um, but yeah, it's still hard. There's a lot of things that I'm like, oh, like I would love for him to be here, but he can't um, be here. I, I bet that's a little difficult, especially with those big moments that happened yeah. even like every day yes but like the big moments are kind of like just breaks your heart a little bit and I'm sure that yeah. he's not he's feeling it too how's your mom with that yeah yeah she's she's okay so they said um I don't know fortunately or unfortunately <laughs> they separated uh <laughs> before so I was actually raised by my biological mom and my father's first wife and so his first wife I still think that she's very, um, I call her mom as well, but she's very, she, I think that she takes it very hard. Um, not quite sure why. I st we still tell her that she's in love with him still. So <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, but I know that when she, uh, she was the one that was taking care of us when uh, my father got deported. And so she was the one, you know, taking care of all of the kids. And that's a lot of kids. Um, so she raised four that were biologically hers. And she raised four um, that were not biologically hers. Well, five that were not biologically hers. And so that's a lot for a woman working two jobs. Um, and she's not an immigrant. She was born and raised here. Um, but that isn't uncommon of many immigrants you know to to have to do that especially when you know um especially in our culture that it's very in the Mexican culture it's very common for the woman to stay at home and care for the children um but it was like my older siblings caring for us because she had to work two jobs um because we didn't have the income anymore wow yeah it, it's it's um It, I think it's like these stories. That's why I do the podcast because um, I think the immigrants have this representation in the media that is very, um, it's lacking. It's very kind of like stereotypical. It's very like either we're very successful or very at the end of the chain. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of stories of in between. And there's a lot of stories of people who are very, very much fighters and very much able to survive and very in my eyes I say immigrants are successful if you want to have mm -hmm. a good business model go work like an immigrant because mm -hmm. for us it's like there's no doubt you don't doubt yourself because that's not an option like you have to survive right. it's mm -hmm. like your mom had to like she had to do two jobs it's not a question do I want to do it don't I don't I don't, like can I you don't ask yourself can you do it a joke here in our culture is like um 
our people can do anything. Like when they are hiring you for a job, do you know how to do that? Yes. You have no clue if you know how to do that. Like you're brand new to a country, many things you don't mm-hmm. know. But they right. say yes, because it's like they learn. Yeah. And they do learn, but you don't have options to choose. Do you want to, don't you want to, to doubt yourself? Can you, can't you? Just go for it. But you know, my important question is like, how was all of this for you as somebody who was growing up in this? How do you think kind of like, how do you feel? First, I kind of want to ask about how did you feel? And then how do you think you were perceived? Yeah. Um, to me, I felt normal. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because I had so many siblings and I was just like, this is what we do. Like, this is normal. Like how I mentioned that I call my father's first wife, mom, like she helped raise me. And so I know that many people thought it was weird and still to this day think it's weird that I call her mom, but I'm like, it's normal to me. It's just, it was my everyday. And so I think when you're in it, like, it's just like, yeah, that's what we do. Just like how you're saying in your culture, you know, we say that we can do anything, right? It's just what you do. Whereas other people might not think that way. And they might think that it's odd or, you know, whatever. Um, And so I didn't really see myself as, I don't know, different or, you know, anything like that. It was just like my own normal. Um, And then you asked me another question. What was it? (laughs) Like on the outside, how Uh was how do you think you were treated because I know sometimes immigrants this happens a lot where uh, for example we who have immigrated for from our area we kind of all blend in looks wise mm-hmm. right like we don't look yeah. different we won't know mm-hmm. that we're different unless we have an accent which kids born here don't and many times mm-hmm. you have a last name or a first mm-hmm. name that gives you away mm-hmm and then sometimes kids get a little bit of like pushback on that. Mm-hmm. Or at least they believe they get a little bit of pushback to a point where some families, for example, have changed their last names. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they're feeling like their kids are not being treated the same just because they right. are of that origin. So I'm wondering yeah. like, if you have in any way any stigma around this. Yeah, definitely. So um, I was always like head of my class, like very like, I don't know who I say teacher's pet, but like very academically, like I was always really into school. And as I got, it wasn't so much when I was younger and maybe I just didn't notice it, but I noticed that when I got older, the treatment changed a lot of times when my mom would come to school. And so, as I mentioned, my mom's German. And so she looks very European, um, you know, blonde hair, well, she has brown eyes, but blonde hair, you know, tall, slender, like stereotypical, you know, American woman. And um, I would notice the the differences in how I was treated once people knew like, oh, this person, this child's parent is going to show up. And not only that, but she can talk to me in maybe a language that I understand. She doesn't need an interpreter. That was kind of like the message that I at least perceived that was happening was that the my friends' parents who were, you know, also, you know, at, at my school at least, they were Mexican. And so their parents couldn't come to school to talk to the to talk to the teacher if they were struggling or something was going on because they were busy working. And if they did, it was very like, 
a very condescending conversation. Whereas because my mom could simply speak the language easier, it was just like, oh, okay, like, yeah, that's, it's fine. Or like a lot of times when I would, like when I was in high school, so I would start talking to my teachers more because um, that was kind of like the expectation, I guess. I would talk to my teachers about things and it wasn't uncommon for once my mom got involved, it was like, oh, okay. It's like, okay, like automatic versus like, I've been telling you this for how long now and you haven't been listening to me um, or just the assumption of teachers, especially in high school, um, of teachers that, um, and I guess it was like for my benefit, you know, doing certain things um, that had to do with my culture that kind of like would make me like stand out for college applications and things like that. But that's more of like a, like, yes, that was probably helpful and <laughs> at the end of the day. And at the same time, it's like, do I, why can't I just do what I like to do because I like to do it and not because it's gonna, you know, help me get into a college. Mm. Now, what's your mom's story? She, you said you, she's German. She's German, yeah. So her um, mom was German. So my grandmother was born and raised here um, in Illinois. And my mom was as well. Um, and then her father uh, was born and raised in Germany. And he came here right before World War II. Um, and he actually enlisted in the Air Force here in the United States. Um, don't know exactly the process of those kind of things. And I'm sure back in the day it was way easier. But anyways, uh, he came here and he actually fought on the US side during World War II um, in the Air Force. Um, and then I'm assuming because of World War II, this is my guess, he passed away before I was born. Um, but my guess is that he kind of distanced himself from the culture because of the war. I imagine that there was a lot of, you know, I mean, he was European, looked European, looked like a, you know, a stereotypical like American man, right? And so, but I don't know that if back in the day, maybe there was some like, you know, oh, he's German kind of like, Thing. if he maybe spoke German or I don't know if he had an accent um, I'm not sure um, you know he passed away before I was born but I know that my mom said that he didn't like talking about it he didn't like you know he spoke German obviously because he was born there um, didn't want to teach it to them um, that kind of thing so I imagine because of the war um, yeah wow and we do everything to make sure that our kids know the language. <laughs> yeah, but I it was so different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I, I can see, like, even like if you look at today's times, um, of course, it's easier to push back when you have social media, but the pushback is insane. So I can even mm -hmm. imagine that there must have been some pushback, or at least you know the hush stories, you know, <laughs> little stories. Yeah, <laughs> as you recall, yeah. walking fast or something. So I, I, I can see that happening. Anna, yeah, how did you get into how did you get into life coaching and you know sex coaching yeah. and give me more of that? I am curious yeah. how that starts for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. How did I get into life coaching? Well, um, it started, I wanted to get into sex education from like a very early age. Like I was always, like I said, I was really into school, I was really into education. And um, 
so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be a sex ed teacher, but like you go to college, there's not like a direct path to be a sex ed teacher, right? It's usually the health teacher that does it or, you know, and so I kind of forgot about it in a sense, or just kind of pushed it aside. Cause I was like, there's no direct path. Um, and then when I got to college, I realized that there was such a thing as sex therapy. And I was, a, I was a psychology major at the time. So I was like, oh, great. I'll be a sex therapist. Perfect. So I started, you know, going to school and I decided that I, you know, applied for the master's program after I got my bachelor's. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a sex coach or I'm going to be a sex therapist. But me being like the type A person that I am, I was like, I need to do something else while I graduate. Like I need to have like this, I don't know, added thing. And I was like, oh, sex coaching is a thing. So I'll get clients and like, you know, while I'm earning my degree and all these things. So I started um, getting, I got certified as a sex coach. And then I started doing coaching on my own, like for myself. And that's when I kind of fell into uh, Karen Lowenthal's work and, you know, in her group. And um, as I went on in school, I realized that I didn't really want to do therapy. <laughs> I think that it has its place, but coaching is a lot more of what I want to do. Um, it's just, to me, um, I, therapy is very healing, but I think it's more diagnostic. And to me, coaching is more transformative and for those that are more so functioning. So not to say that you can't have any type of you know, mental disorder or anything like that, but it's less diagnostic because you're not allowed to diagnose and it's more healing and very desire-based, whereas therapy oftentimes can be more like hierarchical and things like that. Um, so I decided to continue on to be um, a sex coach. So that's when I went to get certified life coach school and I opened my business during the pandemic, mostly because I was bored. <laughs> I knew I wanted to open it, but I was like, I'll just wait till I graduate. And then I was like, I'm bored. Let's Google how to file an LLC. And that's kind of like how I opened it. Uh, <laughs> and it was, I don't want to say it was just playing around because it is something that I wanted to do, but I really just opened it, decided to open it when I did because I was bored. And um now I, you know, I'm running a business and um, it's called Sex and Spanglish. And then I have my Facebook group, Latinas Cochinas, and I have my podcast, um, Sex and Spanglish. And yeah, we just really, I mainly, I mean, I work with everyone, but my main focus is working with Latinas, um, specifically those who were like born here or kind of raised here in the U.S. Um, only because we're socialized in multiple ways. So for individuals, say for example, that were born in, born and raised in Mexico, they're socialized in that country, or even if it's any other country, but socialized in that country, and then they're socialized as their gender or their perceived gender, right? And socialized as their sex. And if you're a Mexican-American woman that was like, maybe born in Mexico or born here in the U.S. and also raised here in the U.S., you're socialized by a Latino household, but you're also socialized by American society. So it's two like combating things. Most of the time, there's some overlap, but then you're also socialized as your gender. And so there's, there's like that added socialization piece that I'm very familiar with because I myself experienced that. Um, and, you know, we, we often talk about in our culture about like being first gen um, and, you know, how much different that is than a person that 
you know, just came here, right? Um, there's a lot that ties into that, you know, different um, disparities, such as like being our parents' retirement plan, for example, um, and things like that that we experience. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, that's kind of where I specialize in, but I also, you know, I take on other clients of all genders and sexes and other identities as well, but that's kind of where my passion lies is working with um, first-gen Latina, Amer Latina Americans, yeah, <laughs> who, um, yeah, basically on anything because, you know, sex is an integral part of our life. We are holistic beings, so if you want to work on your career, like, it, and you get confident in career, it's going to impact your sex life and vice versa, um, so but I really like to educate and talk about sex and make it culturally relevant and, you know, destigmatize it, especially in our culture. Um, and our families are very involved <laughs> in everything that we do. And so really having that space where someone can just talk and like say all the things that they've been thinking, but didn't dare to say to anyone in their personal life. Yes, yes, yes. And that, that's what it comes to. Uh, coaching is like, I sometimes think coaching is just having somebody hear you out. Yeah. My first coach, I swear, she would just listen to me for an hour of it, like throwing in like <laughs> the words in there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because it was just, it was, you have so much to say that you're a little bit too scared to tell everybody else because that you're right. a little bit embarrassed and being an immigrant and sex as it is in society is it is a sec like it's kind of like a little bit of a you know a taboo topic especially from a point mm -hmm. of view of women and um knowing all that we know being in Kara's group about socialization and patriarchy and all of that there's so many layers to it that I, I just think that you're doing such an amazing and important work and I think part of this work is also how do I say it it's educating people and bringing awareness. It's almost like in order for us to even be available for coaching, we first need to become aware of what's going on. And I think yeah. like part of, you know, part of that is just like being out there and saying, hey, this is just okay. This is a human thing. This is normal. This is, it's just like people's mind shift a little bits at a time where you know if we don't perceive something as bad as good but just as human yeah and I love that so much and that's why I was like your your field is amazing Keep doing <laughs> I love it so much hey, thanks <laughs> now do you do you want do you want to have any last message today for anybody who's listening maybe like a tip or something based on I mean this is a surprise I'm like you I know you didn't prepare it yeah no you're fine yeah uh, I was actually just talking about this with a friend so it works out perfectly yeah something that I always say um it's in Spanish but I always say placer es poder which means pleasure is power and I know that I'm a sex coach and so oftentimes when I say pleasure people automatically think like sex and orgasm and like yes and we experience pleasure because we relax enough to allow ourselves to feel pleasure because we know intrinsically that it feels good in our bodies. And so whether that be pleasure by hearing like your child laugh or by you laughing or by, you know, 
hanging out with a friend or doing whatever brings you pleasure. It doesn't have to be sexual, but allowing yourself to do that is the gateway to getting things done and accomplishing things that you want to achieve because you're taking back that power versus letting it happen to you. You're allowing yourself to have a good time to, you know, join the party, whatever you're doing. Right. Um, and I think that's so important because a lot of times, especially as women and especially as immigrants, we don't allow ourselves to because it's all about work and taking care of everyone else. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> check, Thank check, you check. so much. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for the conversation, Anna. I loved having yeah. you here. Thank and you. Everybody, you've heard where you can find Anna and I'll hook it up in the show notes or, you know, you guys it's she's a really good coach <laughs> and it's <laughs> talking to her and i'm gonna say bye to everybody and hear you in the next episode bye